Hi, listeners. Just a quick note to say that this episode was recorded last fall, long before the spread of coronavirus. As you might imagine, funerals like the one in this episode aren't happening at the moment. Crystal Purdy Newland, the funeral director you are about to hear from, says that currently they are only hosting funerals with fewer than 10 people present. They're live streaming services and limiting visitations. Willamette National Cemetery is not permitting services at all, she said, and military honors are currently unavailable. Despite all that, we hope you enjoy this episode. Danny Joe Mendenhall and Douglas Walls died within a couple of days each other in early October. And when Samantha Swindler and I looked at the obituary, a single line stood out that intrigued both of us and took us to Willamette National Cemetery. And the line was, they passed away in Portland with no family. The public is encouraged to attend a graveside service with full military honors. Now, the mystery was who would attend? What if nobody attended? What if it was just Samantha and I and a couple other reporters? So we set out to Willamette National to see what the story would reveal to us. The question is, who's going to show up to a funeral when you don't know the deceased? I'm Samantha Swindler. I'm Tom Holman. And this is Oregon Lives. This podcast takes the reader behind the scene. So our stories focus on the lives of the people we've written about and how we found the stories, how we reported the stories, and what we learned from the stories. Tell us the two names and a little bit about what the obit said. The first obit was for Danny Joe Mendenhall, born July 11th, 1957, died October 1st, 2019. Danny served in the United States Navy. He passed away in Portland with no family to claim him. The public is encouraged to attend a graveside service with full military honors at 11 a.m. Tuesday, November 12th, in Willamette National Cemetery. The second obit was for Douglas Ray Walls, born April 24, 1955, died September 30, 2019. Douglas Walls served in the United States Marine Corps. Douglas passed away in Portland with no family to claim him. If these were two news items that said, come to Willamette National Cemetery and have a chance to win a new car, or we're going to hand out gifts, the place would be packed. But that's the question. Who's going to show up on a rainy day? The last line of the obituaries was the same. Both of them said, Arrangements are in the care of the Dignity Memorial Homeless Veteran Burial Program through Lincoln Memorial Funeral Home. What I did was head out to Willamette National probably two hours before the service because I wanted to see where these men were going to be buried and get a lay of the land. So I walked the hills at Willamette National and I saw where they were going to have the service and then I walked back to the funeral home and met the woman who runs the Memorial Homeless Veterans Burial Program. My name is Crystal Purdy Newland. I'm the location manager here at Lincoln Memorial. I'm the funeral director, and I've been doing the homeless veteran services or unclaimed veteran services because they don't always have to be homeless since about 2009. 
the first service I did was the day after Memorial Day in 2009. And there were probably three people there. Of course, very meaningful for the three people who were in attendance. But again, um, just not a lot of people. I asked her to tell me about these two men. The only thing I really know about these men is that what I see on their discharge paperwork. So I, I know that one was born in, in Iowa and the other was born in Tacoma, Washington. Um, I know the name of one of their mothers, but really not, not anything else. <laughs> Based on where they were living at the time, I think it was like a transitional type of housing situation. I didn't really dig too much into that, but I think one was transitional and like low income. Um, so th there is a possibility that there was a point at which they were homeless. They, they died of natural causes, no foul play. But the overriding question is, what do you do? Not only what do you do, what are you obligated to do? And the bar is pretty low. What happens to unclaimed people in the state of Oregon is that a death will occur. Usually the medical examiner is involved because there's no next of kin to identify a funeral home. And then that person is basically put into a rotation. And funeral homes are on rotations to receive um, indigent cases. And so then that funeral home will provide cremation, usually cremation and storage in a permanent storage place, um, and then seek reimbursement, partial reimbursement. I want to say it's like $700 or something from the state. You talked a little bit about this at, at the funeral, but can you talk, <clears throat> now that I have you mics, um, what it means to be unclaimed? It doesn't mean that these men had no faith. Right. So sometimes, sometimes, yes, it means that there's no family. Um, unclaimed doesn't necessarily mean that, though. It just means that maybe there, there is blood re relations, but the relationship is so distant that, you know, they were complete strangers anyway. Um, and, or maybe, you know, the relationships had de deteriorated so much that estrangement had occurred, you know, and they'd been estranged for maybe 30, 40 years. And, you know, like, it, it's no fault of these individuals if they, if they choose not to be a part of these services. Because, again, you know, we kind of revisit the financial element of it. It is very expensive to handle, you know, disposition for a loved one. And it is difficult. Like, I, you know, if you contact somebody's third cousin twice removed and they're like, well, yeah, I guess we have the same blood, but I've never met this person. I don't know that I want to pay, you know, $4,000 to do something. Um, I'm okay with that. One thing that I have in the interview with Crystal that I think is interesting, people maybe don't realize that the VA doesn't pay for all this. Yes. You know, people think that the Veterans Administration is going to pay for your whole funeral and everything. Really, all they do is they provide the slot in the ground. But, but they don't help you get there. It is heartbreaking for me because I've had hundreds of conversations with families over the years where they will come in and they will say, you know, my, my family member was a veteran, so I know the VA pays for everything. And I have to be the one that tells them that is just not true. And it can be a very, very heated conversation, or sensitive at least, because now in the midst of their grief, they are suddenly realizing that there is this entirely different contract, you know, multi-thousand dollar contract 
that they are now responsible for to lay their loved one to rest when this whole time they were under the impression the VA pays for it. What does the P VA pay for? The, the VA will cover everything basically within the cemetery gates. So an eligible veteran is entitled to a burial space or a niche space for an urn, depending on what they choose, and the headstone, the opening and closing of the grave, and the vault that goes around the casket. And that's essentially the extent of it. And so everything that is outside of the cemetery gates, so the transportation from the place of death, the casket, um, an urn, and all the funeral services provided by the funeral home are not included as part of something the VA will pay. And so she views this as not just a job, but a moral obligation. So I got out there a couple hours before the service, and I talked to this woman, and I wanted to see where the caskets were. So we walked down a hall and into a very small room, and there were two caskets, both covered with the American flags, because this truly was the final resting place for these two guys. And I asked her, I said, what was it like when you closed the casket? And she said both of them were wearing jeans and functional coats. And that's code word for the lives these two guys lived. Anybody that's been around Portland knows those are working-class guys, maybe men who don't have a lot of assets. And I said, what did you do? And she tucked them each in with a sheet. And I found that very tender. And that is not in a job description. That's humanity. And she closed the caskets, and they put the flags over each casket. And they sat there in this back room until the services were going to start. When I went upstairs, I asked her who would take the flags. And she said, well, there's a woman in the parking lot who will take one of them. So I walked out in the rain, knocked on the window, introduced myself, and it turned out she's a gold star mother, was named Patricia Lucas, who lost a son who was a Navy SEAL. And so she was there to take the flag of the Navy veteran. And she drove in from Malala for this. And again, I asked, why? And she believed it was her obligation to stand there for the mother who was not going to be present, the family who was absent. And I said, what are you going to do with that flag? And she was going to take it home and put it in the cedar chest where her son's flag from his funeral is kept. That was Danny Mendenhall. He was the one who served in the Navy. Yes. So Lucas's son, Jeffrey, was a Navy SEAL, and he was killed in Afghanistan in 2005. And he's buried in Arlington National Cemetery in Washington, D.C. He was only 33 years old. And so being there for this funeral and to collect that flag was, in a sense, having her son present, too. She felt that, he, as a fellow vet, he would want her to be there and do this. It was an honor for her. Willamette National is a place of rolling hills, military people, and I believe immediate spouses can be buried there. And all the gravestones look the same. It's the kind of place that if you haven't been there and you're listening to this, you should drive out someday.
is over in Happy Valley. Is that right? Deep southeast off of Foster Road. And if you head out Foster to about 112th, you'll start seeing the signs. I did my reporting. And then I walked back to where the memorial service would take place and talked to people before anybody showed up. And at that time, there might have been the honor guard, the guys on the motorcycles, um, bagpipers practicing. I talked to some people why they came. And all of them said the same thing. We just felt we should be here. We didn't have any school today, and I thought, what better than come and pay respects to soldiers who don't have any family or friends and didn't claim them. So rain or shine, we marched in here and just kind of just... I don't know, like I said, a learning experience for both of them. We don't know these people, but we're here paying respects. You know, this was somebody's brother, uncle at one point in time, you know, so it's important to pay those respects. Um, well, my grandpa is, is buried out here, and um, he's a veteran, and my um, fiance is a Navy vet. Um, so being able to come out and honor these um, men who gave their service to their country in a time that wasn't very welcoming to the veterans, I think it's very important to, um, to remember. And so I came here to honor them. I went out there with my camera equipment. It was cold. It was raining. The only people there when I got there were the Patriot Guard, which are sort of the, they're a motorcycle group of people who show up to military funerals. And to me, the most beautiful moment was when the motorcycles arrived, all these grizzly guys with the beards, and then the two hearses. That's not a bad turnout on a rainy day. And then, as if in Field of Dreams, the car started coming. And the beauty of that was you saw beat-up pickup trucks, Mercedes-Benz, compact cars, big cars, SUVs, and it was true diversity. This line that went from the road leading to the memorial service spot all the way through the cemetery, down 111th, all the way to Foster. It was an incredibly long line. And when all the cars started showing up, I felt like there was a soundtrack in my head. I needed some music to go with this. This would be the peak moment before the credits run. It's, you, you talked about tearing up. I found it exhilarating. If, if you've never been to a military funeral, what does that look like? What does the ceremony sort of look like? A lot of pomp and circumstance where the routines and the rituals are part of the service, the precision. These two services were held jointly, so they brought both caskets up together. Yes. And they had them side by side at the front of the shelter where right. it took place.
there was a woman who did a dove release. She had a couple of different boxes. And then these white doves flew off. It was crazy. It was like we left here. We left here at about 1045 and we headed down the hill and there were cars backed all the way down to Foster. We had to like weave around people to get into the cemetery to even get in the front. You know, I'm like, I've got the guys with me. We need to be in the front. <laughs> you know, we can't miss our own funeral. I mean, I'm quite certain not everybody even made it to the shelter. You know, if they had to park so far away, there. I mean, we probably lost over half of the people who, who showed up. So I, I would I would be willing to wager a guess or a bet that we probably had about three or 400 people today. After the funeral, I stopped a few people and asked why they had come. Everyone deserves to leave this world with dignity and respect, and especially our vets. I mean, look at the turnout. They're, it's a brotherhood. I told him that I had the honor of holding my father's hand as he took his last breath. I will never forget that, but at the same time, these gentlemen that maybe didn't have a close family member with them at the time they passed, I guess it's a sense of responsibility. Crystal said something at the funeral that was very moving. She said, unclaimed does not mean unloved. Some people attended because they thought no one had known these men at all. But I ran into a man who did know one of them. My name is Hendrik and Daniel Mendehoff was my best friend for 15 years. You knew him? I knew him for 15 years. How did you know him? We lived the same building, you know, in Portland, Oregon, in Chinatown, Old Town Chinatown, in Musaf Manor. I was living in room 339 and he was living in 341. It's across the ball. Can you tell me about him? And he was tough, man. And he was a very great man. Because that's kind of good guy, then he, if he could, he'd give a share something back. These were men who had sort of difficult lives, what we know about their lives. They were both living in transitional housing. Right. Could we have done more for these men when they were alive? Are we focusing on going to the funeral because it's a thing that we can do and it makes us feel good about ourselves for some reason without having to extend that care and that concern to people who are alive right now. You raise a good point. These two men in life were ignored. Yeah. And if anybody encountered them downtown Portland, they would have probably thought they're a bum. Yeah. It's a lot easier to idealize the dead than it is to deal with the big old mess of the living. So what's the point of this? Uh, why do you think people... Why do you think people went? And what was, what was the moment people connected? I think after the service, the funeral home hosts a reception. There's a buffet line, and there are all these banquet tables that are large tables. And people who don't know each other sit at these tables, and they have conversations. Crystal told me that over the years, as she's been running this program, these funerals and these receptions have been places for people to meet and to talk about issues and to talk about ways that we can help veterans today. You know, funerals are really uncomfortable for most people. And I find that attending a stranger's funeral really has a different type of impact on someone. And I wanted this service to be 
meaningful to the to the attendees in a sense that these two gentlemen brought us together today and what was the purpose of that the purpose in my mind was to take from this place and be inspired to go do good in our community if you think nobody's going to be there and you came today where there's three or four hundred people um, it's going to be alarming because you're like wow these people were unclaimed and I I wanted to be there as their family and I think it's really you know from them I hear their awe they're shocked they're amazed and they're really it really kind of creates a renewed sense of of joy I guess in the community like you you're like wow I'm really rejuvenated by this energy that people have like my goal for a service like this is that these men will leave such a powerful legacy in the people that attended today because I feel very strongly that the folks that come to services like this leave inspired to do those good things for veterans before we get to this point again you know and I I love seeing that motivation and the inspiration in in the people who attend they're nodding of the heads and they're just like yes you know that's exactly what we want to do um, and and I feel good that they go out there and then they, they volunteer or they shake the hand of a veteran with their you know little veteran hat on or something or they pay for coffee or buy lunch or sit down and talk to somebody you know because that's if, if that's what these guys can leave us with, I think that we are exponentially better human beings. It was impressive. and it, it, The story really is not about the dead. This story is about the living, the people who came, because those two men are gone. But anybody who was there that day or who, who reads our story will be reminded of sacrifice, commitment, and commitment goes both ways. All the people who were there were committed to doing something. They weren't getting paid to be there. They got no benefit except they got an emotional benefit, which I think is oftentimes priceless. Two people died, and yet I came away feeling good. All these people gave a bit of themselves. It's a sign of community, of caring, and it helps people who don't know either of these men get a moment of healing and a sense of goodness in a world that sometimes seems like it, that's lacking. Thank you for listening to Oregon Lives. We hope you like our podcast. If you do, please leave us a review. If you want to hear more episodes of Oregon Lives, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.